Hi, I'm Monique Carriol and I'm building a movement of brave leaders so that together we can tackle some of society's most fundamental needs. So I'm here to encourage you to be yourself, support you to back yourself and really help you through those practical steps to navigate your leadership and career journey to enable you to make it happen. Hi, and welcome to episode three of series one. You may recall that the first series are the recordings from my free webinar series of the same name that was aimed at aspiring leaders at any levels. My very special guest for session three was Salma Yasmin. Salma is an executive director of strategy and change at Southwest Yorkshire Partnership NHS Trust. And myself and Salma held very similar roles and portfolios as to when I was a director in the NHS here down in London. Me and Salma wanted to talk about finding your leadership style in challenging times, taking account of living and working through a pandemic, especially in leading um, strategy and change. And I also led COVID recovery during the pandemic. We talk about knowing what you're really good at and you'll hear me ask the question, what are you really great at? It's not a question that we often get. I think we're used to focusing on where our gaps and our weaknesses are, but knowing your strengths and you'll hear us talk about knowing your spike based on the recommended book in the session, I think is a very powerful thing to help you on your career and leadership journey. We talk about progression in challenging times and Salma is very candid talking about the time in her career when she was bullied and her reflections on this. We talk about building trust and confidence, all important when you're leading change and when you're trying to lead people and teams and then transitioning into management roles. So I also want you to listen out for um, Salma sharing her views on trigger points and what this means and if you listen right through to the end you'll hear me share some additional content based on responding to a couple of the questions that we received that we didn't have time to answer so I hope you enjoy the session. So for those of you who don't know me I said I introduced very quickly in the beginning um, and said that I'm Monique Carriol. Um, I worked in the NHS for 20 years and I started off as a PA and navigated my way up to a board level executive director role. And I recently left the NHS in March. One of my main reasons for leaving is because I'm really passionate about leadership and not just leadership, brave leadership. Um, and I want to be able to share some of my expertise and my insights, but more importantly, I want to encourage and support you. I want to encourage and support you to be brave leaders and so that we can tackle some of the biggest problems out there. I think the world needs brave leadership. And I think also it will help you, I hope, on your career journey about navigating your next steps. And this is a webinar might be slightly different to things you've experienced before, but I feel that out there, there's a lot of theory out there. There's a lot of academic information and there's a lot of long courses and there's nothing wrong with those, but I wanted to bring something a bit different. I wanted to bring some practical insight and advice and I wanted to have some real talk conversations. But most importantly, I wanted this to feel like it was a place where we could learn, share and grow together. So I'm sure some of you will be getting used to my strap line, but I'm here to encourage you to be yourself, to support you to back yourself, and to really hopefully break down those steps and help you feel um, motivated and confident enough to make it happen. So this is a series. You don't have to have been here for all of them so far, but if you have, remember that you've got a chance of winning all the recommended books that we say in each session. 
But today, this session is about finding your leadership star in challenging times. And I'm gonna say a little bit more about that in a moment. But what I also want to be able to do is to remind you that those of you who were with us in session two, you will remember that the conversation actually was electric. And Ruby, my colleague, really took us through a great session where she managed really well with some of your challenging questions. And I think we came out of that room feeling like we knew a lot more about how to challenge constructively and also about how you create and operate in safe spaces. But there was a lot we didn't get to cover about inclusion. And I felt that listening to that conversation, we needed to put on an extra session. So you'll see at the bottom of this slide, we have a bonus session, supporting you to be brave part two. And in that, we will pick up on some of the things that we didn't get into in session two, but also some of the things that sparked from your questions and the chat. When I look back at the chat, it is amazing what people are sharing, what people are honestly sharing, but also how you're supporting each other with what you're sharing about your own experiences, giving kind and supportive advice, and actually really kind of helping people to feel that they're not alone on some of the challenging journeys of leadership. So it's been absolutely brilliant. So if you had all the dates in your diary, there's one more on here, the 21st of July, supporting you to be brave. Ruby will be back with me, but also Sat will be joining me as well. And I can't wait for us to have that session. I think it's going to be a powerful debate again. But let me remember where I am now and to follow up on. So a follow up from the last session, I mentioned it. There was a question you had as a takeaway action. So for those of you who are here, it was identify one thing you can do differently to support inclusion at work. And if you remember, we were talking about some of it feels massive, you know, some of it feels really, really difficult. And also we know, we all have, we've just, we are living through, I don't even wanna say it in a past tense, we're living through a challenging time in the pandemic. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that, but also to say, well, actually, if we are still, if you have leadership responsibilities or you still want to develop and grow in your career, you know, and sometimes what's happened in the pandemic will galvanize you and will, will make you think and kind of wake up to what you might want to do that you might have been putting off. Then actually being able to think about and focus on what is it you can do um, is something I'll talk to you a lot about throughout the series. So our first two sessions were about be yourself and encouraging you to be real, encouraging you to be your true self, encouraging you to celebrate that as well. But what I was talking to you about was then saying, okay, we had a big conversation and debate about inclusion. What is it you could do possibly differently to support inclusion at work? And I'd invite you, if you did take that action on, and I know some of you have because you've messaged me separately and you've spoken to me on social media, if you've taken that action on, I'd love to hear from you in the chat. What is it you did do or what is it you're thinking about doing? Um, and if you felt too challenged and if you felt actually there is something I'd like to see happen, but I don't feel able to do that, I'd like to hear from you in the chat about that as well. Really important that we do share that as well. I'd also encourage you to give feedback. We had some fantastic feedback last time about people who had bought the book, run off, you know, as soon as the session finished, session one, and went and brought the book. If you weren't here, the first session's book recommendation here was David Goggins, Can't Hurt Me. This man is a radical man, and this is the book. If you want to know about mindset, if you want to know about taking control and what you can make happen, this is the book. And I know a number of you have been reading it, um, and I know the action from the first session. I just want to touch on that because it was about 
an action from David's book about visualizing something that you want to see happen. And I don't know if Denise is with us today, but Denise, who's been with us in session one and session two, she shared something really powerful that I wanted to read out. And she said, I've been visualizing successfully taking the next step in my leadership career. And I think that's so powerful in terms of really starting to see. And David Goggins talks about visualizing it and feeling it and how that can help you to kind of when you're feeling like you don't want to carry on to keep pushing through and to keep it moving. Now, our second book was, I'm organized today, How to Turn Stress on Its Head by Dr. Rani Bora. And again, I know um, for our 10 lucky winners, some of you have received your books. You've sent me photos of it. You started to tell me about what you're reading. And I know Ruby even shared with me earlier this week that actually she, um, the book came up in a session that she was in. And she'll tell us about that later, I'm sure. But if there's anything anyone wants to share about it, please do let me know. I will read it out and also to share with each other. The one last thing I wanted to share, you're here. Hello, D Denise. Yes. Oh, I love that. I love that. Well done. And fingers crossed for you about your interview. I really hope it goes well for you. Good for you. Thank you. Um, the other thing I want, and keep sharing, I will pick up your chat, even if I don't pick it up straight away. Keep telling me that. I love that. There were two other wins I wanted to celebrate. And another thing I wanted to say to you as well is that, you know, there'll be lots of conversations. You'll feel them all the time about, um, about um, what's not working. We spoke last time about when you give feedback, it's easy to focus on what's not working. You know, people, you know, what you don't like someone's done, what they're doing wrong, you know, and how often. And I was encouraging you to celebrate the win, celebrate what's good, say thank you, tell someone what they've done that's really good. You know, could be something minor, but I know encouragement um, really lifts people and builds confidence and it builds trust. So I know that we've got two people. Um, either I know you're here and I know you've just started a new role and I wanted to congratulate you on that. And also if Jess is here with us as well, I don't know if she's made it today, but she has also just secured a promotion. And she also got a, she was one of our winners of the book. And I just wanted to call that out. And why am I putting out? Because it's challenging out there and we all have challenges. And it's not, this isn't saying that it's easy, but what it's saying is let's celebrate the successes when it does happen, but also share with me in the chat when you're finding it challenging and something isn't working, do share it in the chat. There are colleagues here, there are people here. We're a, we're a brave leadership community. That's what we are here. And um, you share it in the chat because there are people who will want to um, to want to support you and to want to offer straight talking advice, all right? So I just want to encourage you to do that. So I'm keeping an eye on my time as well. Uh, Tia, could you take the slides down for me, please? Thank you. And I hope we've got the right view. Um, but what I do want to say is now to move on to today's session. And today's session is about... Um, <clears throat> finding your leadership style in challenge. Thank you, Jess, you're here. Brilliant. Finding your leadership style in challenging times. Now, people talk to me about leadership styles all the time, you know, and I think it's really important to be confident, you know, and I, and I say that strongly. Be confident in who you are and what you bring to the table. And this session and the next session are about backing yourself, all right? And I, and I want you to back yourself and I'm gonna be pushing you hard to back yourself. And the book that I recommend later, you will see it talks all about strengths. What are your strengths? 
We've, it's easy for us to focus on our weaknesses. It's easy for that negative chatter. Do you remember in session one, I was talking about negative chatter, that internal chatter, the way we speak to each other, the way we speak to ourselves, sorry, about what's going on. And, you know, our minds will go, I haven't done this. You know, I'm not good at that. I need to do this. It's not motivating. If you think about when your manager is speaking to you or someone senior is speaking to you, and if they only focus on what needs to happen, what you haven't done, how do you feel? Now, how do you really feel? Actually, if you think about building on what you've got, using what you've got to the best of your ability, it is so powerful, okay? It really can help you. And it's something that I've always done in my career. I learned it early and I was lucky I learned it early. Focus on what I'm good at. And I'll give you an example. You know, my I know that my talent and my gift is a gift of speech. I tell you all the time I'm a chatterbox, you know, and I feel comfortable speaking to people. I'm not your ideas person. I'm not the person who's going to come up with that bright, shiny, innovative idea. That's not me. But if someone comes up with that idea, I know how to build that process, that approach and sell it to people and get everybody on board and make it happen. And I know that's my strength. So I use my strength of speech my strength of encouraging and galvanizing people to take action and to build that roadmap and to help you understand how you connect to it. I know that's my strength and I've worked on that for 20 years. What I want to help you with today is about finding your strengths, finding your style, finding the style in how you lead and operate that feels right to you and how you can progress in that and how you can use that. And I really want you to come forward with your questions today for me and Salma, because um, we want to be able to help you and support you sharing what we've done, but also trying to understand some of the things that you may be finding challenging and for you to ask us about that. I've had feedback that what you don't want here is lots of slides and I don't have that for you. It's an interactive session deliberately because I wanna focus on the areas that are right for you, okay? so. What I wanna do now is to be able to introduce Salma. And if you had a chance, I recorded a short video this week um, about Salma and about this session. And I was saying why I feel like she embodies brave leadership, you know, and, and I, wouldn't, I don't say that lightly about people. I only met Salma recently and I really wish I met her early in my career you know I really we could we've connected in such a way but Salma is a powerful woman and why she's powerful is not just because of her expertise and her knowledge and her background but it's because she leads in her style and her style really really does feel real it feels supportive it feels powerful and it feels engaging you know, I don't want to say too much about Salma because I know she's going to tell you about her journey and her story. But what struck me when I first heard Salma speak was how warm she was, how knowledgeable she was, how no nonsense she was as well, and how she's made things happen. And she's made some big jumps, some brave jumps in her career. You know, and we have a lot of um, healthcare colleagues with us in the session today. And I welcome you all, I really do. It's great to have you with us. I also hope that what we see in here is applicable to people working in different sectors as well. 
But I know from my healthcare colleagues, some of you will speak to me, I'm not a clinician by background, and you will talk to me about your careers and you will talk to me about sometimes wanting to transition into senior roles or wanting to transition into corporate roles from clinical roles. And Salma has done that. She's a mental health nurse by background and she is now uh, an executive director of strategy and change um, at uh, NHS Trust up in Yorkshire. And that's why I said I was really pleased to have so much of um, Salma's colleagues from Yorkshire joining us today. But what I will do is I will stop there and I will welcome Salma in. So Salma, do you want to join us? Good evening. Hello. Work the tech. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Monique. Welcome. And just to say thank you for that really humbling introduction. Um, but I do think that we've got uh, a mutual admiration club going here. <laughs> I think so too. And I think that um, I've just seen someone who knows you put that in the chat about how inspiring you are. Look, and the messages are coming up here. And I know that to be true. And as I said, Hi, Sasha. I feel jealous. Because I feel jealous because I know that I know a lot of people here today will have known you for longer than I have, you know, so they'll know a lot more about you. But I know what I felt from you and from the conversations that we've had. And I think sharing that, you know, we wish we knew each other to be peer support, you know, in the roles that we've got. You know, my role was very similar to yours, but I knew I wanted to have you here because um, I know that it will really, really help some people who have been joining me and a part of this brave leadership community. So, some of the floor is yours. You've got about 10 minutes, but please do tell us a bit more about your career story and journey. Thank you, Monique. Um, and again, just to say, you know, it's a, a, a real honor um, to be here and to be part of this really important conversation and um, to be invited by Monique, who equally, I have to say, I feel I really wish I'd met her earlier on in my career. Um, her energy, her positive energy, and the fact that she was doing a similar role to me um, for, for many years would have been incredibly helpful. But um, just to say, I've also been looking down the list of participants and I, you know, delighted that so many of you have taken out precious time at the end of what's probably been a really challenging work day to join us today. Um, so thank you for that. Um, and I hope that in the next couple of minutes, the next 10 minutes or so, um, I'm going to share with you my leadership journey. And it's going to be a whistle-stop tour, I have to say. Um, hopefully, I'll be sharing with you some of the highs, some of the lows, um, some of the turning points. Um, but most importantly, some of the key points um, of learning that I think I try and hold on to and continue to try and evolve and develop, um, even at this point in my career. So just to say that what's been constant right through my career journey, and it's something that I've um, repeatedly gone back to, but also reflected on, is um, my values. My values have been incredibly important in helping, I think, me through right through my career journey, but helped me make decisions and choices um, in the work that I have done, um, but also really helped me at some of the most challenging points as well. And my values, I think, are really about who I am. And um, I think that that's about how I show up in my work, in my teams, in the places that I work, um, and how authentically or how openly I can be myself. Um, so I think one of the key things um, it, right through my leadership journey and, and, and what I would want to leave with is the importance of your values, really 
drilling down to understand what they are. So a little bit about me and what has shaped my values. Born and bred in a small place called Huddersfield, Yorkshire folks will know this. Um, hopefully colleagues down, you know, and people down in the south have heard of it. Uh, we were in the Premier League, but for a very, very short time, I have to say. Um, but a place that I feel a deep connection to. I was born and bred here um, and lived here for most of my life, apart from a decade away which I will share with you. Um, in terms of my origins and my roots, um, very proud roots, um, also apart from being Yorkshire, uh, my parents' heritage um, is in South Asia, predominantly Pakistan, with very strong roots into Persia. Um, and obviously grew up in a family that spoke several languages, uh, had several frames of reference, and that eclectic mix is something that I think I bring with me. Um, role models. I think role models help shape your aspirations and who you want to be and some of the values that you hold dear in your day to day work. Now, it's one that it's, it, this is a point that I often struggle with. You know, who were my role models when I was growing up? And actually, I really struggle to say anybody famous. Um, and my role models were predominantly my mum and dad um, and also figures from within my faith um, that were shared with me, female leaders particularly. But mum, because she was an amazing, incredible, strong, stay-at-home mum, but who raised, I have to say, I'm part of a tribe of nine siblings, but incredibly um, powerful influences in my life right now, I have to say, and keep me very, very grounded. Um, but also, um, she was a creative person who stayed really connected um, to others in the community um, through, through her, her role at being at home. My father, who had a really strong entrepreneurial spirit, but actually um, what I can say about him was he was incredibly compassionate and um, often spent long hours um, working with others around issues around social justice, um, equality, inequality, um, and was really driven by issues around fairness. So from a really young age, Actually, the conversations that we had at home, um, particularly when we watched the news or um, dinner um, table conversations, were rooted in issues around social justice, equality and fairness. So all of that is something that I think I bring um, to my work. In terms of choice of career, if I'm absolutely frank and honest, I had no clue what I wanted to do when I left school. So, but I did know that I wanted to help and support people and be in service to people, much like my father had been. And I took on a social care course, which um, there was a seminal lecture by um, a mental health nurse. And I felt really engaged in this session. Um, and I, it was her that said to me at the end of it, she said, I think you would be a brilliant mental health nurse. Have you ever considered that as a next step? And I hadn't. I had never considered that, despite the fact that um, at a very young age, a very close relative of mine, somebody who, again, had had a strong influence um, on me as a person, a maternal aunt um, following um, a bereavement, had um, um, a crisis and ended up in an inpatient unit. This incredible woman, creative, strong, bold, had amazing fashion flair. You know, I often looked at her and thought, God, I want to be like her when I grow up. Uh, sense of colour. Um, I remember visiting her on an inpatient unit, being very young and leaving completely distraught. She was a former, you know, a shadow of her former self. She was colourless, lifeless, unkempt. And what I never could make sense of and reconcile was 
why did she look this way if she was in hospital, if hospitals were meant to fix her? What I didn't realise was that that had had a lasting impact um, on my choice of career. I never remember seeing anybody that looked remotely like me in all the years that I, in all the time that we visited her on this inpatient unit. And so when this um, this nurse had suggested that I take that as a career, actually it was something that really made me think, could I do this? Is this for somebody like me? So when I did train, so my first network of people were the people that I trained with, an incredible group of people. I'm still connected to them. Um, today, we've had very different career journeys, um, but stay connected. Um, one of my first challenges was post the interview, post being told that I'd been accepted on this programme, was actually the uniform didn't reconcile with how I wanted um, to dress as a woman and somebody with um, a Muslim faith and a background. So I had a conversation with them and said, mm, you know, you kind of want us to wear dresses and tights. I'm not really comfortable with that. How about I wear something slightly different? And they were incredible in their response. They said, well, actually, we saw our own uniforms. Why don't you have a word with the seamstress and come up with a version? So I came up with a version of trousers and a tunic at a time when that was just not worn by female nurses. And I was absolutely the envy of nurses on the ward because when we were doing the older people's placement and you were hoisting people up, um, actually, it's really much more practical to do it. I'm delighted to say that many, many years on, it's the norm and people have a choice, um, which is great. So really important point in terms of what drove me into this career and something that I go back to often when I'm trying to reconnect to my own purpose um, at challenging times. Um, I'll skip forward to um, a period of time where in Yorkshire, where I spent a large chunk of my post-qualification days and that was in Bradford in Yorkshire. I will always have a very soft spot for Bradford as a place um, and some of the incredible people that I met, some of them on the, are on the call today, um, who shaped and supported the work that I was involved in. Um, the home treatment service was one of the first intensive home-based treatment services in the country and I joined that not quite knowing um, what the work would involve as a community psychiatric nurse, but felt really attracted to the role because they made it really clear to, about two things. One, they were going to employ a service user as part of the team um, to help shape the culture. So not as a peer support worker, not as somebody who was a healthcare assistant, but with lived experience, but somebody who was going to help shape the culture. And that fascinated me. And secondly, um, I think the very fact that you, we, they had a very clear philosophy that they wanted to shape, which was about drawing on different explanatory frameworks to understand people's distress, was something of real interest to me. And um, in working in that team, and I held different roles in that team over a long period of time, um, I had some of my greatest moments, I'd say, in terms of learning and deeper understanding of distress, of teamwork, of shared risk and how that works amongst teams, but also um, an incredibly challenging time where um, a male senior leader in that team, I was probably the youngest in the team, um, I felt incredibly bullied um, through the first 18 months of my time in that team. And um, I have to say that even now when I look back at that, I mean, one, I hold gratitude because I am who I am because of him. Um, but at the time, it was an incre incredibly distressing time and I ended up um, having a, an autoimmune response to the stress. But I was able um, to raise that as an issue of complaint through the HR process. And the HR process told me, if you take this further, you will be moved. 
And um, unfortunately, that remains a challenge for us in terms of getting our HR processes right, where we support people and people feel supported. I loved the work that I was doing in the team. I had incredible allies who recognized what was happening. So simple examples are, I'm a registered mental health nurse. I'm multilingual. We're in the heart of an inner city. And yet I would be asked to come along to interpret rather than be a primary nurse. And these were some of the challenges. And it's incredibly challenging to speak up and call some of that behavior out. But I did. It was tough. I'm glad I did it. Um, he moved on and actually migrated to Australia, um, which is which was helpful. Um, and many years on, um, what I hold on to is what did I draw on at that time? I drew on my networks and allies and people that were there to support my family and my friends were an incredible source of support recognizing what the issue was and I think deepening down on my, what matters to me most here and what mattered to me was to continue to be in service to people and to be part of this really exciting team beyond that um, there was an opportunity to deepen the understanding of working with people from different and diverse communities and the opportunity came up um, to work in a pilot project which was going to test out um, exciting new ways of engaging people around their strengths in communities and building bridges with the health service and particularly BAME communities. And so I took a brave and bold step, I think, looking back now, um, to leave the NHS, to join the voluntary community sector on this short-term contract, to do something that I had no real idea of what it was gonna look like, feel like, or transpire to be. And I have to say that that was an absolute baptism of fire. So I'm not going to say that that was an easy period, you know, I'd left the sanctuary of a really supportive team, of an organisation that actually I was genuinely felt a part of, and also the NHS. And the voluntary sector was completely new, um, a, a sector that's often divided by competition rather than collaboration because we're scrapping around for funding. Um, and also um, for BAME communities, I think it's even more challenging. So gaining trust and getting access into those communities was incredibly challenging. But what drove me um, and helped me thrive and survive was being having a fantastic team um, of support and trusting that team, but really reaching out to and building allies and networks um, uh, of predominantly women, I would say, um, but not solely and exclusively women across that system and making sure that, that um, I was able to draw on their wisdom and insights to help me navigate some real uncertainty and a, um, a territory that was uncharted by me. But what I had to draw on was holding my nerve and my confidence um, in the face of uncertainty. Um, what I learned also was that true partnership work um, requires you to live with uncertainty and recognizing that actually much of the work will be built, built on trust and relationships and collectively you can build something together. So really focusing on the outcomes but not on the individual interests is something that I learned um, to draw on. Um, I then took another step um, we, that became a registered charity. It was blood, sweat and tears. The team that worked on that were incredible, as were the allies and people that supported that. Sasha, Selena, others, um, you know, I can't name check you all. I'm on a short time frame here. But, you know, many of them have continued that work beyond them initial three years. And I'm sure, you know, 18 years on, it's taken a different shape and form that organization, but proud to say it's continued. Um, you know, I'm sure there are challenges, but it'll continue hopefully um, to be an asset for communities. Um, into, in 2005, there was a national context within which um, 
there had been the tragic death of Dave, David Rocky Bennett. Many of you that work in mental health will recognise that name. And the tragic death of Rocky Bennett was due to the way in which he had been held down in a prone position for longer than three minutes, recognised absolutely now that that's you know, something that's measured, monitored um, and safeguarded against. But there have been several high profile, high uh, um, you know, tragedies that had happened in mental health, which came together and led to um, a brilliant policy, a national policy for the first time ever in my career at that point on uh, called the Delivering Race Equality Policy. Um, and that set out an ambitious framework for change using a whole system approach and what they were doing was developing 17 focus implementation sites Bradford was going to be one of them for Yorkshire um, and I decided that actually it would be a continuation of the work that we'd been doing in um, the actual charity and the project that had now been sustained but to build on that um, looking at system change from within but building bridges and connecting out to communities um, and looking at recruiting the workforce from those communities so I took that role again not knowing quite what it meant going back into the system was challenging I'd found freedom um, and the ability to make innovation and change happen rapidly um, so that was a challenge but again drew on my values, drew on what mattered to me most, drew on networks and developing allies and relationships as I progressed in that work. Now, if I'm honest, did we do everything we needed to do? Absolutely not. There is so much work even today to do on this agenda. But what we did do was make a step change. And there was some fantastic committed leadership at every level, right across communities, across the voluntary sector, across health and care sector that were really committed to driving change. And I think we capitalised on the moment of the policy, but really it was about making that happen through the relationships, connections and that shared purpose. 2007, fast forward, was a seminal and turning point for me. Um, it was a moment where I needed to make a decision about a personal decision about, you know, do I get married and be with the man of my choices for the rest of my life? Or do I stay in Bradford? He was in London. It wasn't going to work. <laughs> so actually, it was the personal decision that drove the change. Um, was it the right decision? Absolutely was. Um, so a really happy, momentous moment in my life, but also um, a tragic moment in that my father, who had been living with dementia, um, very early onset dementia, right through the last 10 years that I've talked about, but was cared at home, uh, cared for at home by us, my amazing siblings, my brothers who, you know, carried him up and down the stairs because they're all six foot four plus, and my amazing, incredible mother who had done the bulk of the caring. Um, he sadly died, um, but... What was fascinating was um, I'd applied for a job in London around end of life care without kind of knowing that my father was um, progressing towards end of life at that point, I have to say. Did loads of research, ended up taking this fixed term contract. It was a 12 month, 12 -month contract um, to be a programme manager for the end of life care programme in Tower Hamlets. And um, literally, as I'd been offered that job, a week later, my father ended up in hospital and we ended up in a situation where the doctor called my mum and I in and said, has anybody ever had a conversation with you about your dad's prognosis? And I kind of knew exactly what the moment was and what that conversation was going to be about because I'd done all the research. She was an incredibly compassionate doctor. She shared it in a, a, a really compassionate way and we had a conversation. And we cared for my father at home and his last wishes were absolutely respected. So a really positive end to his life and really positive for us as a family. But at that moment, I was leaving my job, 
I'd lost my I was I lost my father six weeks later I was getting married and I was moving to London incredibly challenging time personally and professionally in every way um but made the move and again um move, living in London is totally different to going and visiting and shopping and being with friends I mean the noise itself drove me insane if anybody knows Yorkshire Huddersfield's a really sleepy town um so going to London was was challenging but um, um uh, a positive move in many ways I did the job in Tower Hamlets um, completed that but a really challenging year um, of grief loss um but building new a new future with an incredible husband who, you know, I'm delighted to say I'm still with him 13 years on. Um, not sure he'd be saying that, but <laughs> we are together and it's it's um, um, really positive. Um, fast forward, um, went to, came back to my passion, which is mental health as a deputy director in South London and Maudsley Mental Health Trust and worked with old people services. And again, I think connection to personal the whole um, dementia strategy was being launched and the director who'd written the national policy, Professor Shubhi Banerjee, was part of that directorate. And I had the privilege and honour of working with him. And so much of what was in that strategy, had that been around when my father was going through his journey, I'm not sure we'd have had some of the challenges that we had as a family. Um, did that for a couple of years and kind of my husband and I had a conversation where he said, oh, I'm thinking we should do something a bit different. Perhaps, you know, we could have a better work-life balance. Why don't we go travelling and mix work with that and go to the Middle East? And I was a bit like, you've moved me all the way from Yorkshire. You now want to move me again somewhere else? Not sure about this. But actually, I took a, had a conversation with my director at the time who was incredibly supportive. And he said, gosh, go and do it, but don't leave. Take a sabbatical. And I was like, do I get a sabbatical? And he said, yes, of course you do. Why don't you go and have a chat with the chief exec at the time? Chief exec was phenomenal. He said, absolutely. If it doesn't work out, you come back to your role. So it gave me the confidence to leave. I went to the Middle East for nearly six years, worked as a director of nursing services and transformation. The latter part of those, that time, um, we were setting up a change institute for the whole of the Ministry of Health. Um, I have to say the first six months of being in the Middle East were incredibly challenging. It's a different context, a different culture. The healthcare landscape's different. It's a diverse and multinational workforce. Um, but again, I think what helped me get through that was family, friends, my strong networks, um, and being really connected to what it is that I want to do, and what meaning and purpose I could bring to this and what value I could add. Um, did that for six years. Um, a personal reason why we came back, the chief nurse I was working with, who was an incredible woman, was retiring. We had a decision to make. I was offered um, the director role for the National um, Change Institute that we'd set up. And it was a choice between that or to come back to be with aging parents. My mother at the time was suffering ill health. And um, we knew that over a longer period, actually, there was going to be issues around caring. And what mattered to us most at that time was being back with family, doing what we needed to do and being connected to our younger nieces and nephews. And so we made the choice to come back. I decided I needed a break. I was exhausted. So I took an 11 month pause on career and work and did wonderful things like play with fabric and do the house up and all that kind of thing. Um, but I missed being part of something bigger, which was making a difference. And I was drawn back into the NHS. I have to just say that having had six years out of the NHS, having had an 11 month break and my head in fabric and colour and paint, um, I, you know, the panel that decided to take me on at SWIFT, you know, incredible gratitude to them. Um, my current chief exec, my boss, Rob Webster, 
you know, took a massive risk on me. You know, I'm sure I was incredibly different compared to um, some of the counterparts who could have come in and just hit the ground running. But they took a risk on me. And, you know, I've been there four and a half years. It's been an incredible journey. My colleagues that have joined the call today, you know, all of you sustain me. The team that I'm part of, the, the director team, the teams that I'm in service to, you know, the integrated change team, I've got a broad portfolio, um, have, have nurtured, have supported and sustained me as I hope I have them. Um, that's kind of a whistle-stop tour of my career journey. And I think hopefully what that what that what I bring to, with me and the lessons that I'd like to leave you with is, one, the, the, the people that don't help and get in the way, actually over time, if you can hold gratitude because they shape who you are um, and help you to, to realise your own strength is really powerful and much more empowering. I think the second key point I'd want to say is really nurture your networks. Find those people that you connect to and that you're kindred spirits with or that have some wisdom and insights and really nurture them and hold on to them. Recently, the issue of George Floyd was very triggering. Many of us have, will have found that. And I know that I went back and connected to networks from 15, 20 years ago because there were spaces where we'd had some shared ambitions um, from, from then that continue today. Um, I would also say get yourself a really good coach or mentor if you haven't got one. I've had coaches and mentors right through my career. I've sought them out, you know, and um, I've, got, I've got one now. And they've been an incredible sort of support. They can hold up the mirror and help you see what's really good about you when you feel the most challenged and the best of you. But they can also hold up the mirror and help you see all that you still need to work on. Because I think, you, you know, we are learners from cradle to grave. You know, I still see I'm learning. I'm learning every day from the people that I work with. I learn from my younger siblings. I learn from a whole range of people. Um, and finally, what I'd say is, and, and I actually want to leave you with this quote from Rumi, which is something that I draw on when I'm feeling the most challenged, um, is when you're feeling the most challenged and you're, you're going through a challenge, you know, I think there's something about really listening with your ears of tolerance seeing through the eyes of compassion and speaking the language of love. And all three of those are tested and challenged mm -hmm. during periods of challenge. Whistle stop tour. I feel like I've talked at you all. Um, <laughs> so Thank you so much for bearing with me. That's not Samo. I'm just going to say, take a breath and have a look at that chat. And that chat will tell you how you've just touched people. Um, with what you've just taken us through in a whistle stop tour. And Ruby is just, so a little secret for you all, me, Ruby and TL use our WhatsApp group to just make sure we're keeping everything on the move. And Ruby just messaged me and I think this sums it up. She's bloody great. <laughs> and I think that's how I would sum it up. So really good messages there. But as we said, this is time for you also to ask Salma some questions. She's told you a lot there. She's told you a lot about our journey. I think you'll all agree with me why I've said Salma embodies brave leadership. We heard so many things there, Salma, in your life, in your career, and in who you are and what you stand for. And that's why I really wanted people to hear from you this evening. But I do want to say that we're going to take some questions. But before we do that, I'm just going to pose a question back to everybody who's just been listening so well. So Tia, could you just get up the slide for me? Because yeah. we've just heard Salma tell us really clearly a number of things, what matters most to her, what she's passionate about, 
But also what I heard loud and clear is what Salma is great at. And I didn't hear, and I'm not talking about arrogance, I'm talking about what Salma you heard there in there. Salma's extremely brave. You can hear that she challenged the status quo, that she made brave steps in her career. And also Salma, you've been very candid with us about times when it was difficult for you and how you dug in and how what held you at your core. So a question that I'm asking you all now to take a bit of time, and you know you've got a little bit of time to reflect on this is, what are you great at? You know, as I said at the beginning, we talk a lot about what we think are our weaknesses or things that, you know, I've, I used the term the other day about um, observe, don't compare, you know, but we compare ourselves to people and we sometimes feel a bit low about that. But I just ask you, if you already know it, if you've already given some thoughts about it, what are you great at? If you want to share that in the chat please do and if it's not a you have to know it on the spot if you want to reflect on that something that I'd like you to take away it's not your main takeaway action but I really want you to think about that because I think we heard loud and clear what Salma was great at so do put your answers in the chat for me and we'll pick those up but what I am going to do I'm going to keep us to time but we've got about 20 minutes now for um question and answers so Tia's going to support us here and I can see people here saying about, you know, they may have lost motivation and there's things that they're, they're, they're good at play, to use the words good at playing a victim. This is the time, remember, this is what I said, I wanna support you to back yourself. So it's about thinking about how you turn that around, how you start to focus on what you're good at. You believe you're great at living. I like to see that. You see you're great at supporting your team, compassionate and always ready to help with openness and integrity. I love that, Alice. Great at connecting with people, Uzo. Great with innovative, Elaine, we'd be a great pairing. Innovative ideas. Getting people to work together, building rapport. If you feel that you're someone who always looks at what you're not so good at, look at what some of the people are sharing here today. Some of those things might resonate with you. Some of those things might be things that you are actually good at, but you're not thinking about it. You don't bring it to mind, you know? So this is why I'm encouraging you to talk about it. And you're gonna see, like I said, after the Q&A where we're going to be looking a little bit more about your strengths and identifying your strengths and that helping you with your style of leadership on your journey. So I'm going to move us on to Tia. So Tia, hello. Do you want to take Hi. us through the Q&A? Yes, of course. So our first question is from Andrea and the question is, how did you manage your personal life with your dad and your career aspirations? And before Salma answers, Tia, do you mind, sorry to be a pain, could you just take the slides back down for me? Yes, of course, sorry. Thank you. So Salma, are you all right with that question or do you want it again? Yeah, no, it's a good question. Um, and um, so how did I manage my career aspirations and with, with the stuff happening at home with my father? Um, incredibly challenged. You know, it was... Um, it was, a, it was a tough time. We were doing tough work in Bradford, um, but um, not without support is what I'd say. So, um, you know, I, I recognise and hold, uh, I'm very aware of my privilege. My privilege is that I have an incredibly um, supportive family and, um, you know, parents that were my first absolute advocates, champions, sponsors, whatever we want to call them. Um, and um, I think my mum, you know, I, I, I keep 
saying that and you know of course I would I'm biased she's my mother um, I recognize it's a privilege and I you know not everybody has that safety security sanctity and that level of support um, but I think without them I'm not sure um, I could have balanced it as well but what made the very fact that we were having challenges as a family trying to get the early diagnosis for my father um, and navigate and uh, go through a complex journey at the time doubled down on my efforts at work because it helped me to connect to if I am finding this hard with all the knowledge that I have and the fact that I work in the health sector what must it be like um, for those that perhaps don't have those insights or those connections or um, you know I was able to talk to my team so um, you know, we talk about bringing all of us to work um, at my current organisation, Southwest Yorkshire Partnership and Just Foundation Trust. And there's been a huge amount of work um, that our leadership team has done. And our, you know, chief exec really sets the tone around that he brings himself to work, which gives us all the confidence to do that. So I think leadership sets the tone. And um, what I would say is that, um, you know, a supportive team at that time. So at the time when it started, um, the early onset part, because he was very young, he was only in his late 40s at the time. Um, you know, I worked with a brilliant consultant psychiatrist and my manager, who was an incredible woman who I remained friends with right up until recently, um, until she sadly died last year of a brain tumour. Again, very young, but she was incredible. I mean, the, the support and the flexibility and, um, you know, they would often say to me, no, you know, family comes first, go to that appointment. The, the impact that's had on me in terms of my leadership style now is, you know, family does come first. Flexible working really has to uh, be something that's inbuilt in our systems and our teams. And often, you know, trusting your teams to do the work, but not being bothered about where they do it from. And I think COVID has accelerated all of that and made that much easier, you know, for men or women who have caring responsibilities. Um, so, yeah, incredibly challenging. And what I will say is I've had a zigzag of a career. I haven't. It sounds like it's been straight up. It hasn't. You know, I, when I initially went to Saudi, I took a, a downward step. When I went into the voluntary sector, I took a pay cut and there was no grading. You know, um, it's been a zigzag. And I think um, what has driven me in making my choices has been the excitement often without really understanding what I was taking on. But the importance of feeling like, gosh, I could really make a difference here. And um, I saw the second question. So I'm just going to jump to that because there was something about, you know, if you don't, if you're not clear about what your values or your purpose are, then, um, you know, how, how do you navigate that? I think you have to, this is, this isn't, you know, I didn't wake up one day and know these are my values. These are things that excite me. These are things that matter to me the most. I think my, over your life and your career journey, you work on that. That's backing yourself. So really doing the work on you. I think that's where it starts. You can't influence and support and enable change or create the conditions to do that unless you do the work on yourself. And I work on myself even now. So, you know, having a really challenging mentor and a coach, you know, a boss that pushes you or challenges you, um, you know, accessing development opportunities, stretch programs, all of that is about backing yourself. And I think hold that thought on what you just said, um, Salma, because we're gonna come back to that in terms of the takeaway action for people. Um, but I think people really appreciate hearing from you as well about what it is you do, because it's not easy, is it? What you're doing and how you're doing it. And I know we've got a couple of questions there that are going to dig into that more, but I think um, people are really appreciating um, how honest you're being today as well. So thank you. So Tia, can we take the next question? 
Of course. So the next question is from Matt, and it's actually in two parts. So Matt asks, how do you respond if your organization's values do not remain aligned to your own? Do you seek to drive change from within or do you move on? Was that Matt Ellis? I can't confirm that. <laughs> I've just got Matt. <laughs> yeah. If it's Matt Ellis, then hi, Matt. Uh, but hi, Matt, wherever you're from. Um, really, really good question. And um, so I, I mean, I think the greatest work that you feel you, you, you will do, and I have felt that I have done, is when my values have been fundamentally aligned to the values of the organisation. That doesn't mean that at times, you, as you move into a leadership position or you make the transition into a leadership position, that those values are not tested and that you have to do stuff that um, is challenging. So an example of that might be, um, as I was when I was working in Slam, South London and Maudsley, it was just at the beginning of the time when they were starting to drive efficiencies. And I fundamentally remember thinking and having the conversation actually with my director at the time that how could we possibly find ways of cutting um, and finding money in services that had been underfunded historically for a very, very long time. And having been on the receiving end of the lack of services for my own father, I think there was a personal connection to that. But actually what we were able to do was to say look actually we have to there's some tough things that we have to do some tough decisions we need to make but how do we be open and honest and how do we create what the future might look like in a more positive way to try and improve it and on the back of that the efficiencies might fall out so how do you use your values to drive the way in which you might do that work and might connect the right stakeholders to help you co-design that so I think that there are times even in the toughest context you can find a way of aligning your values to the work or to the organization or to the team and fundamentally if there is a breakdown in the trust and you can't work through a way of working then I have you know and I often say this to people you know you try you reach out you connect higher up you connect sideways you go and talk to the people that will listen um, and you try and influence in the way that you can to try and make the biggest difference and you get the support that you need but if that fails then there is that's you know that's the bit where it comes back to when you have got control over that and if it's causing you more unrest sometimes it's better to go and find something that will enable you to do the work that you want and you might come back at a later point I'm not sure if that's helpful I think I think that's a you know I think that's a very um true statement Sam I think what I would also add to that and I think it's a conversation we had in the last session was about sometimes it comes to a point in time, doesn't it, when you know your values are not aligned. But I also spoke about last time with regards to, you know, don't throw away the autonomy and power that you do have within yourself and within the realm that you're working in to make a difference and to show your values. As you were saying, you lead by example wherever you are and people will see you embodying those values and you may start to create and drive people to show their values that might be more aligned. But there is sometimes a point where it comes where you ask, you know, what the organization, organization stands for is so far removed from where you stand that sometimes it is about time for a change. And we spoke about that as well. So thank you for that. 
Tia, I know the questions are flying in, so we're going to have to try and support Salma to get through some more of these. But yeah, do you want no, to take definitely. us to the next one? Yes, definitely. So the next question is from Sapinda. And the question is, how did you manage your leadership journey during the pandemic? And what advice would you give to manage change? Wow. So brilliant question. I'm sure all of you um, in this conversation would be able to share wisdom, insights and tips. Um, I think the last 18 months has been incredibly challenging for all of us on a personal and professional level. Um, and I think that I would describe it in phases and chunks because that's how I dealt with the uncertainty um, and the kind of cyclical change and the reversing back into, you know, we're in lockdown, we've got this to do. The initial phase, and I think we saw this incredible response in our organisation, as I'm sure many of you will have, of people feeling um, absolutely, you know, there was a call to action. There was this real deep connection to core purpose. And many of us that have come into healthcare, that's what we've come into healthcare for. It was, you know, it's about saving lives. It's about doing your best work. Um, and I think that energized people, even though it was frightening, it was uncertain, it was unknown. And there's been this tremendous effort, I think, across the NHS, but across health and care more broadly, and right across partnerships and systems. Um, and I think what it's driven is a, a, a much more joined up collaborative response in a way that, you know, many of us that have been in healthcare have been trying to drive this kind of way of working for years. So that was unprecedented, that first bit. Um, I think there was a middle bit which where it became people feeling exhausted, um, you know, staff were exhausted, there was ongoing uncertainty, and there was a load of new work that needed ramping up. So, you know, the testing, the vaccination programs. And I think um, in terms of managing myself and managing the change and the role that I play in the organisation, it really was to work with um, the executive team and the leadership team to make sure that we were absolutely clear about what the critical priorities are for the organisation at that time during that phase and being really honest and open about what we have control over and what we will continue to influence through our partnerships. Um, I think the leadership team were remarkable. I mean, our chief exec did a daily um, briefing and conversation with staff um, through a regular communication, um, clarifying, we provided advice. Um, and I think leadership at every level um, was visible through that phase as well. We've then had a really intense period of thinking about recovery and reset and restoration on the back of people feeling fatigued and still dealing with COVID. Um, and that'll be an ongoing journey. So I think in all of that, um, doubling up on your communication with your team. So we've put in things like, uh, you know, my deputy writes a weekly brief to all the staff every week, but daily huddles, so daily space to come together, to connect, to talk about how we're feeling. And that's where we start, um, has been incredibly important. I think, um, you know, putting in um, space where we can just have coffee and be human and recognise and say, look, this is really tough. I'm finding this hard. I think doubling up on your flexible working policies, recognising that women and, you know, some men had massive caring responsibilities for children that were homeschooling, recognising that they may have to work differently and work different hours. Um, and I think all of that has been a, has, has, has demanded a lot from us. But I think it's that collective effort that's got us through this and we'll continue to do so because this isn't over. We're not through this period. 
Um, but in all of that, I think what it probably has taught all of us is much more about ourselves, our resiliency, the things that we need to feed. So wearing our own mask before we can put it on others. So taking time out, recognising you're having a crap day and being OK with that, um, but finding the right space to be able to manage that um, and then being able to go back in and support and drive and energise. Okay, thank you. Tia, shall we take the next one? Yeah, of course. So the next question is from Denise. And the question is, do you think you'd be where you are today if you hadn't left the NHS for a while? Wow, good question. <laughs> um, who knows is what is what I'd say. But I guess I mean, most of my career was in the NHS, but there were two significant periods where I left. Um, I honestly believe that they have added significant value to what I've learned, what I bring, um, and the whole sense of my, I absolutely fundamentally believe, having seen different bits of a system, that you, you, no one bit of the system can do this alone, which lends itself really well to the current um, policy context that we're all working in. Um, and I, I honestly don't know, because I do know um, people in the NHS that, you know, I mean, I, I would say that I've worked at every level, you know, band five, band six, band seven and band eight and then gone out and done, you know, band seven. And, then, you know, so so all of that um, would I I probably would. But I'd have, you know, had to go to different organisations because I think there's something about in any role you get to a point and I don't know if this resonates, but I feel like I get to a point where. Um, there's some big things you want to do and work with and there's a core mission and the core team that you're working with and you drive through some of that um, and you get to a point where you think I've given this as much positive energy as I can and actually to be able to continue to use my energy in a positive way I need to be able to go and do something somewhere slightly different and I think it's recognizing what that trigger point is for yourself is really important so probably not answering that question but that's kind of how I how I see it. I think that's a really powerful, recognising your trigger point. I think, guys, that's one of our takeaways there, recognising your trigger point, because a lot of people are here with us in this series about, because it's they want to focus on their career journeys, they want to make an, take another step. So I think that's a really important point. If you so, find yourself mourning more than um, feeling energised to do, I, that's my trigger point, you know. Mm -hmm. Of course, we all have a moan at work. You know, not every day is brilliant. There are days when you're frustrated and there's challenges, and that's absolutely okay. That's part and parcel um, of, of, of making the change happen. Mm. But when you get to a point where you feel like actually you're part, you're a massive part of the problem because we're part of the solution, but we're all, we can also be part of the problem. And that's overriding. I think that's a point to recognize that actually this isn't sustaining me. I'm not being my best self. I'm not bringing my best self to work every day. Mm. I'm not making the difference that I can. I'm not able to contribute in the positive, full, impactful way I would want to. Is it time for me to think about something different? Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, and I can see that reson that point resonates with a lot of people, Sam, for sure. Okay, Tia, I think we can squeeze two more questions in. Okay, bro. Okay, so the next question is from Eva, and it says, you mentioned that you worked in a difficult team and the person that bullied you moved to Australia. Being who you are today, would you have handled the situation any differently if it happened now? 
Wow. Um, I mean, looking back on it, I probably wouldn't have let it go on as long as it did now, knowing what I do know. Um, and, you know, being 21, which is what I was at the time, and it was my second job. So when I qualified, I went off to Cambridge for six months to work in an inpatient unit, missed my family terribly and um, decided that I needed to come back. So a great opportunity came up and I came back. Um, I think I let it rumble on for way too long. And it was because I didn't know how to deal with it. Um, and I didn't know how to navigate it. And I wasn't quite sure what it was. Um, and, uh, you know, that whole, I recognize it now as imposter syndrome and, you know, um, the, the, the idea that often for, for people of color, there's a concept that I read about recently, which really resonated um, for me many years on was this concept of attributed deficit. So if you're different or you're diverse, if you're a woman or somebody from an LGBTQ community or, you know, particularly if you're a person of color, um, there is a, there is a phenomenon like where you, they, you, you people will attribute deficits so that you're less seen as less capable, less credible, um, and which is feeds the whole thing about, you know, working 10 times harder, trying to prove ourselves constantly, um, which many of us experience through our, um, our lifetimes and careers. But I think I let it rumble too long. My advice would be, um, I wish I'd spoken to people earlier and checked it out. Um, who could have helped me make sense of it as they did much later on and said, this is not acceptable, actually. This is not right. This is persistent. This is what is bullying. And um, I hadn't named it. I didn't understand it particularly. It, it hit my core values. There was something not right about it. It made me uncomfortable. It made me tense. It made me anxious. And it got to the point where I was on eggshells constantly. I felt like I couldn't do anything right. And um, it was an overwhelming sense of feeling fearful almost. Mm. Um, you know, I'd been on a night shift. I'd be exiting the door to go home at five o'clock. So we did an on-call system. So you could be on call. You might not be called at all, but you might be. I'd been on a really busy on-call all night, but we come in during the day. And the idea is there was flexibility. You did your paperwork, you handed over and you went home. This particular day was absolute, you know, it was really, really busy. I ended up staying till five o'clock and at five o'clock, I remember the charge nurse turning around and saying, um, actually, the rest of you can go. But Salma, could you drop this medication off on your way home? And I was absolutely on my knees at that point. And um, that was the breaking point because I went home and I remember calling um, a colleague and a friend and saying, I can't do this anymore. I don't know what's going on. She said, what is it? And we had a good conversation about it. And that led to me then talking to my manager, really raising it. Other people were witnessing this. They were really uncomfortable with it. They'd say supportive things to me behind the scenes, but nobody was calling it out. And I didn't really understand it. So I think really important, talk to people, check things out. You know, sometimes it is us, you know, it might have been that I was being gobby or not following instructions or whatever it might have been. But I think having other people to talk to to help you make sense of it can help you get the right help, the right support and the right strategy to address it in the most appropriate and positive way and constructive way. And often in my, you know, in, in, in my current role, when people reach out to check things out with a senior person, they might reach out to me because I am a BME leader in the system in confidence. Mm -hmm. And my role really is to listen, to support, 
um, to help offer in insights and to use my own personal experiences in a really positive way so that people can use the systems and the processes that are available to them in a really positive way because the end goal is to help resolve it to ensure that we're supporting and enabling people to reach their potential no matter where they are in the system. Mm. You know I think you've said some really important things there Summer and just to touch on, I, I'm, I know we had a, you've picked up on another question that was there as well about how do I raise concerns? And I know um, it may be from, I can't see who's asked those two questions and I totally respect they're anonymous, but um, in it may be people who weren't with us in the last session because I think Ruby really took us through some practical steps and there was a good discussion there about um, how to challenge constructively, how to raise concerns, how to starting to talk about how to prepare that. And Ruby, I think because there was so much conversation and people were saying it was helpful, it was part of why we said, let's continue some of that conversation. But I do feel like listening to what you've just said there as well, what comes to my mind is maybe just having a sort of practical checklist that people could have available that they could use, you know, that can help them more informally. So Ruby, it would be great if me and you could talk about that offline. It might be something that we could pull together that could be shared with people who have attended the sessions. Because I know, as I said last time, it's great to hear from you and, and to be encouraged and empowered by how brave you were at times to speak up and to take the action you did. I, what I also said though is, sometimes when you do speak up, and I can see Bertha, I think, I hope I've said your name correctly, Bertha, but I can see what you raised as well as a leader being in that situation as well. Sometimes it's very isolating. So you can raise concerns and it's the right thing to do. You don't always have the support of colleagues and it can feel extremely isolating and scary. And we were talking about what else you can do. So I know it's a hot topic and I know that a lot of people are going through things. So I just don't want to lose that. So Ruby, I saw you said sounds great. I just don't want us to lose that. So Tia, I know I said we've got time for one more question. Yes. Today is about finding your leadership styles. And I know we've got a good question there from Yvonne. So do you want to just give us that question? And then Sam, if you don't mind, I'm just going to pick up on a few points on that and just you know hear from you as well, if that's okay. So Tia, do you want to ask us that question? Yes, of course. So this question's from Yvonne. And the question is, are you able to tell us a bit more about your leadership styles and how we can utilize them to be more effective and impactful in these challenging times? Maybe some top tips. Yeah, so so why would I, I had a, when I saw that question, thank you Yvonne for the question because um, I think if you can't tell my style, <laughs> then where have you been? You know, I'm straight talking, it, you know, I do what I say I will, um, however, I love my people, you know, and I saw some of the comments, you know, if my team, you know, my team is me, without my team, where would I be? I love my team. And if there's anything I miss from work, it's I miss my team, you know, and I miss that, that, that camaraderie, that togetherness, you know, if I was successful, it was only because of my team, it wasn't anything else. And I think, you know, in terms of challenging times, the one thing you do is you empower the people around you. You know, it's so easy to be under pressure, to start wanting to do it all yourself, to start telling people what to do, to start gripping and grabbing and to start panicking. You know, it's a natural reaction to pressure and the pandemic would have caused that immensely. I would really encourage you to say that the, the, the best thing you can do as a leader is to flip that, you know, empower people, encourage them and support them. 
you know they will people will jump through the hoops for you if they can and if you listen you know people know one of my favorite sayings is listen to understand you know listen to understand and know where your people are at the moment and how they're feeling you know i know there are good people in this chat today in this room today who want to support i saw it in everything about what you were saying you were great at embody that you know think about how you would want to be supported it doesn't mean that you treat everybody how you want to be treated i'm not saying that because everybody's different but you also know about mutual respect you know in challenging times let's not forget that and keep asking don't tell you know you may need people to do things at pace you may need them to do more than they've ever done before still have the common courtesy to ask them People will appreciate you respecting that. People will appreciate you understanding that. So I would just say, keep embodying that courageous leadership, that compassionate leadership, but just be real about what, Sam said it already, be real about what's going on, be honest about it, you know, and what's the other thing I talk about all the time? Your support toolbox. Now more than ever, in challenging times, you will need that support toolbox. What's in there? Is it your family, like Sama was saying? Is it peer support? Is it how you nourish yourself? Is it that? Is it your exercise? Is it your reading? What's your go-to place? But that's really important for you as well. Build that support toolbox and embody more than ever the things that you know are important to you as a leader. Sam, would you want to add anything to that? Well, I think you sum summarised it really beautifully, Monique. So I, I think, you know, I just re-emphasise, you know, look after yourself, mm -hmm. look after your people. And, you know, you're absolutely right. You are only as good as your team. You are only as brave and courageous as the team that you're part of. And, you know, I have to say that in all of the time that I've been, I may have made some tough decisions, but what got me through them um, apart from family in the actual work context was the teams that I were part of and still am part of so look after your people and trust them trust your people and I think you know it's something I suffer with under pressure I go into directive mode you know it's kind of we need to do this we need to do that. and actually it's at those times that I'm learning you have to dig really deep and do what you probably do on a normal day, which is the collaborate bit, the bit about let's work this out together and create intentionally, consciously spaces to connect with people yeah. and to check in with people. The yeah. people that are going to get things done with you because you cannot do it alone in the leadership role. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Salma. So I know we had some other questions. We haven't been able to get to them. If you remember, I've said, watch out. I'm not putting you off. I'm not fobbing you off. I honestly, Chuck, believe me, these the sessions are going to be released as a podcast episode. What I've said is that I'm going to try to pick up on some of the questions that you haven't answered to cover those off at the beginning. What I would say, though, is some of the things that have come up today. So, Bernie, I saw your question about coaching. I'm not ignoring it. We're going to be covering that more about coaching and mentoring. So, Session five is about taking your next step. So we'll be covering that and talking more about that and answering some of those questions. So hold that thought for me, Bernie. I also saw a very um, uh, challenging but big and just question about institutional racism. And as I said, we touched on some of that last time, but I want to talk about that in session seven. So whoever posed that question, you know, please do come back into the room if you can and join us. So any questions that we didn't answer, I will try and either answer them at the podcast 
or I will feed them into follow-up sessions, but I will not ignore them. I've invited you into the room. I want to be able to answer your questions, but I also know I want to keep us to time. All right. So I won't forget those. So I am going to try now round up. I'm on four takeaway actions. I could avoid it to three. I'm on four. <laughs> Uzo, I've got one that you just put in the chat already. I know you helped me last time, but I'm going to go with four. And if anyone thinks there's anything big that I should have had in there, you tell me. But what I feel like we have got today is number one, stay, to your stay true to your values always. And when I say always, I've got three exclamation marks after that, always. I heard that loud and clear today from what Salma shared with us. And I could see that resonating with people massively. Number two, recognizing and listening to your trigger points. Whatever that trigger point may be about, whether it is about something going on, like Salma shared about her, her um, experience of being bullied, whether it's about that voice talking to you about it's time for a change, whether, like you said, the negative chatter, you're moaning. As my daughter says, you put up or shut up. That point when you get there and you know it's time, whatever it is, recognizing and listening to your trigger points. And I say listen because sometimes we hear it and we choose to ignore it, but it doesn't leave us alone. It keeps coming back. Third one, look after your people. You are only as good as your team. Love that, love that, love that. Simple, powerful, so, so true. And my last one, I love, I'm I think I'm going to change Uzo from listening to understand. I love that listen with fascination. Beautiful. And I will credit that to Michael West of you because you have done as well. But I love that. Listen with fascination. There was something before in the chat about um, people connect with and respect leaders who are genuinely interested in them. If you want to show someone you're genuinely interested, you listen to what they've got to say with fascination. Love it, love it, love it, love it. I'm excited, I love that. So, book time, book time, book time. This is the book for this time. It's so funny because it's like a mirror image, isn't it, when I hold it up. The recommended book for today is Spike, and this is by Rene Cariol. Um, I also need to say a big thank you to Rene because he is kindly sponsoring the 10 books that we are going to give away to the 10 randomly selected att attendees from today's session. OK, but this is one of my favorite books when I talk about strength um, and talk about um, strengths based leadership. And the reason for that is in this book, there is one line in here that I think there's so many quotes. You'll see so many, but one in there that really I think I maybe this would be my fifth takeaway. But what I want to say to you all today is you have to believe in yourself before others can start believing in you. You know, and I think that. We talk a lot about the external, you know, we really do. We talk about, you know, how people make you feel, what people are doing. And, and I'm not saying that's not true. And I'm not saying that there are some people out there who may not be treating you well or treating you right. I'm not denying that. But when we talk about here, this is about backing yourself. And that statement, back yourself, comes from my dad. When I told him I wanted to apply for my director role and I wanted him to give me comprehensive, deep advice, you know, coach me, help me, he just said, Monique, back yourself. And at the time I was being stroppy, you know, oh, well, he's not helping me. But actually, best advice he ever gave me. And since he gave it to me, I followed it every time. And it's really helped me to speak up. 
to be brave, to be myself, to lead as I felt was the right way to be an executive leader. So I hope you get from this book to back yourself, believe in yourself, you know, because you need to do that before anybody else will. But also there's so much more in here as well. So I'm going to hand over to Ruby. Ruby's going to try and wrap us up and bring us into our closing song. So Ruby, do you want to come in? Absolutely, guys. Um, if you can hear my children shouting at each other at the background, <laughs> apologies in advance. Uh, I might just lock myself in this room for a little while after this session <laughs> um, just to escape. But Selmas Yasmin, what a beautiful name, a beautiful person and a wonderful introduction to your story. You've just been really motivating and inspirational. Um, so thank you so much. I just had to say that. Um, so... Monique spoke a little bit about the book. I want to tell you a little bit about, about this book because I think it, it, it's, it's really important to know what actually SPIKE actually even stands for. So SPIKE by Rene Cariol, is a, um, it stands for Strengths Positively, Positively Identified Kickstart Excellence. And what the book does, it focuses a little bit about telling the stories about real people, their journeys, similar to what Selma's, you know, just told us about her journey and what they've achieved through their, through their spikes or identifying what those spikes are. Um, and, and so this is why Monique has recommended this book. Um, and part of the actions, um, your takeaway actions, um, if you can, Tia, please put up the slide. Yeah, Thank you. Can you see that okay? I can, brilliant. So one of the takeaway actions that we want you to think about, earlier you spoke, we asked you, what are you good at? Um, and a lot of you put so many things on the chat, on the chat box about what you're good at. Um, but I'd like you to go away and describe those things that you're good at. How do you do what you do in three bullet points? So to just give you a really brief example, I know I'm the head of equality, diversity, inclusion. I'm great at communicating and engaging with people, but I do what I do by creating safe spaces where people can thrive and be their best authentic selves. And that's how I engage with people by sharing a little bit about my vulnerabilities and my story. So think about what you're good at and describe how you do what you do in three bullet points as your takeaway action for this session. Um, Tia, can you go to the next slide, please? If I can remind you all of session four, um, it's the power of a conversation, building influence and relationships. And that's on Wednesday the 9th of June, same time, 6 p.m. on Zoom. So it's next in the next two weeks. The registration is open now and it's free. We really wanna encourage you to try and attend all the sessions because as you've seen, there are themes that trickle through every single session. Um, so being part of all of it, We'll, we'll give you all of those um, tips and tools that you need throughout that whole journey. Um, please follow Monique um, at Monique Carriol on LinkedIn. Um, and obviously we will be sending you all of the takeaway actions, some of the everything summary of what's happened today um, uh, by email as well. And you'll also get, as Monique mentioned, uh, the, the books um, will 10, 10 people from, from the attend attendees today will get one of those books as well. Um, the last thing I'd like to say is just, you know, you've all been so reflective and you've all been really engaged and adding all your, you know, your comments and your stories in the chat function. I'd really like to just ask you to give us any final thoughts, 
anything that you'd want to add. But whilst you do that, we know that these sessions are really energetic and there's just such a good vibe. So just to finish off, whilst you're thinking about your last takeaway actions, I want to introduce you to a wonderful song. And this is always my favorite, one of my favorite parts of, of these sessions. Um, and the song is just energetic. It gives you in a really good mood. And it reminds me of the 21st day in September. So lovely to see you. Before we start the song, thank you, Ruby. So before we start the song, because I've had messages coming through people saying that like, I'm waiting to do my dancing on Zoom. OK, but I just want to pick up on the chat now. So there's a few things for us to post into the chat and also to encourage you. I know there's a lot of us here. We've had <clears throat> well over 100 people join us this evening. It's been brilliant. Um, but what I would say is I also know that a lot of people are talking to each other. You may not know each other. If you want to put your social media handles into the chat so people can exchange them, feel free to do that. That is totally up to you. You obviously understand if you're putting them in there, you've got everyone who can see them. But if you want to do that, I know people are following me on Twitter and hopefully you'll see each other. But do do that if you want to. You're more than welcome to do that. As I said, we're building a community here. So I hope people do that. I can also see, thank you so much, Salma, for the colleagues that you've brought into the room today. You know, you've brought us a different perspective and you've brought us um, some great people who've really participated as well. And I know that therefore you may have missed the first two sessions, people who've joined us today. I mentioned already, I will be releasing all the sessions as podcast episodes. The fact that you've joined this, I have your email details. I do need to send you a little note to have permission to send you anything more on email. So look out for that. I'll do that. But if you connect with me and stay in that and I can have you in my um, email list, you will absolutely receive the link of the recordings to the previous sessions and this one as well. So I also wanted to ask um, Tia, if you're able to do that for me. Sorry, we've got you multitasking behind the scenes. No, I should fine. also say that I am very grateful for the support that Tia and Ruby give me. You know, it allows me to really focus on the conversation. Yes, a big round of applause, Salma, but they really help me with everything behind the scenes and in the room, and I'm very grateful. But Tia, if you could put the link to um, the feedback yes. form. Yeah. You can stick that in. People, please do. I really welcome your feedback on today's session. It should only take you a couple of minutes, but it will help me to inform future sessions. And Ruby, I hope I'm not stealing your thunder if I say also we're going to put the registration link in for session four that you told us about. So if you want to register now, um, it's in two weeks time, as Ruby said, we're doing them once a fortnight on a Wednesday. The link will be there, but I will also, as Ruby said, you'll get an email. It will be on that link as well. So whilst you do what Ruby says, let us know your thoughts and feelings. The links will come up. I think we're ready to roll now. Jordan is waiting. My son is waiting in the there. wings to dance with us I because this is one of his favourite songs. Just before um, you do that, Ruby, can I, can I just say a massive thank you to everybody um, for joining. And I will certainly be joining the remaining sessions. Thank you. I've got I've got a lot from this and we'll get more from it. And I hope we can capture all them brilliant comments. We can. Um, we can we'll send you a copy of the chat, Salma. And I think everyone, you can see it in the messages, but you know, a massive thank you to you, Salma. You have got a busy executive director role. So really appreciate you giving us this your time, your energy, your honesty and your expertise. So thank you I'm very much. I'm honoured to be part of this. So thank you, Monique.
There was so much insight and honesty from Salma and her willingness to share and inspire and help people to understand. Salma is such an inspiring NHS leader and I knew I wanted, when I first heard her speak and I first met her, how much she touched me, I knew I wanted more people to hear what she had to say. And I know some people think most NHS leaders are not like this. And that's why I wanted people. And I really wanted Salma to join me for this particular episode because she really embodies brave, compassionate leadership. I wanted to share a few. I mean, there were so many takeaways there. I, <laughs> there's so much I could cover here, but I don't want to try and repeat it. And as you hear in the episode, I summarize what those takeaway points were. But I did want to share some comments in the feedback that people shared in the session about Salma. Salma, you are so real and humane. It makes the difference. It's been so important to hear how your values have informed all you do, including how you keep moving forward. Salma is an inspiration and true leader. She develops others and has always laid a ladder out for others too. I'm sure you join me in thanking me for all what Salma shared. And I know there was so much more we wanted to cover. As I've said before, there were some questions we didn't get to answer. And I want to come to one of those right now. The question was, how do you embrace new space and energy when you expand into a new part or edge of your comfort zone? How do you keep expanding rather than shrinking back or pausing so long that you stagnate? And I think this is a really, really insightful question. My response to this would be about remember that when you're going into something new, I don't think we should be setting our bar or setting our expectations for ourselves at the same level as it was when we, we've been doing something that we've excelled at, that's something that we're very experienced at. Give ourselves some chance to have that new growth space, that things may feel different and they may, may feel scary. But it's important to feel the fear and do it anyway. And in episode one, I talk about a leader's mindset and Tara Humphrey shared many things about what she does to feel the fear and do it anyway. So I'd encourage to keep stepping forward because if you take yourself back to when you first tried something that was brand new, we all have those feelings, I think, of feeling uncomfortable, fear of the unknown and not feeling that you've got it all at your fingertips. I think it's important to keep pushing through that because if you recall when you have then developed and honed those skills or got used to working at that level, you know that you don't stagnate and you usually continue to develop. So that's what I would encourage. There was another really good question that we had, so much so that myself and Sam could talk for ages, but watch out for series three of my podcast because it's about it's in conversation with and I'm inviting Sam to talk back to come back and speak with me so we can share the, the answer to this question which was about have you experienced any challenges as a minority ethnic woman in a leadership role if so what was your learning from the challenges I really want to have that conversation with Salma about my our experiences as a black woman and as an Asian woman working at board exec level and also holding quite a challenging portfolio, strategic change and transformation. So we will be getting into more of that and Sam will be able to share even more of her career journey and insights and how she navigated her career to where she is now. And you'll hear more about some of the points that she only had a chance to touch on in the 90 minutes. 
the other question that we were asked that I know we'll be covering some points and um, solutions and approaches to what you can do to address this is how to manage a senior colleague that bullies and is known for it. Having the strength and confidence to have that open conversation where others haven't. Watch out for episode seven, because that is talking about having courageous conversations. And again, sharing some real practical tips and advice about how you can start to use those tools and techniques to address any issues or challenges that you may have if they're similar to that situation. Remember, I'm here to build a movement of brave leaders. And in doing that, I know that it's really important to support you to be brave as well. You will be in situations that aren't easy, that are uncomfortable, and that you may have tried to resolve before and haven't found a way forward. And I really hope that some of the uh, questions that we try to answer and some of the conversations that you'll hear in the seven sessions of my webinar series, I hope gives you more insights into some of those areas to help you be yourself, back yourself, and then that last bit, really make it happen. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please leave me a rating and review and don't forget to subscribe. Can you please also share this with friends, family members or colleagues? I'd really appreciate it. And you can follow me on Twitter at Monique Carriol or connect with me on LinkedIn if you haven't already. I'm Monique Carriol on there too. And also click the links in the show notes to join my mailing list. I look forward to you joining me for the next episode. Take care and see you soon.